Hello, everybody. Today we continue in a new series of messages about racial reconciliation with a vision for racial unity in our city. By now you know that this series ties us into a larger movement of churches in our city that are all focusing Sunday sermons on the topic of race. It's been amazing for our church and for our city. And what it means is that we're collaborating with a large number of other churches in the fight for racial equity and I want you to know that this is really exciting to be a part of. Here's the main idea of the series. Through Jesus the Savior, there can be restoration to God's original design of racial unity. And in the church, there can be racial unity as a witness to the world that God restores through Jesus Christ. We can, as a church, live together like God originally intended as one race, not distinguished by the color of our skin, but unified by our faith in Jesus as Savior. And I'm not suggesting that we ignore our ethnic differences. What I am saying is that in Christ, we can walk together in unity without letting our ethnic differences be a barrier between us. We have an opportunity, church, to be a witness to people outside our church of how God enables us to seek racial unity with one another for the sake of our city. And we do this by asking God to teach us what the Bible says so that we can best live out what the Christian faith teaches about racial unity. There is so much joy in experiencing life connected with others in the way God has designed for us. So, so today we're going to look into God's Word at Luke chapter 10 with a specific question. Why should I care about those hurting when I'm not affected directly by their situation? Here, said another way, if I'm busy doing my thing, why should I take time to involve myself in helping others? And what we're going to do is look into the Bible at a familiar story in hopes of discovering the heart of God for how we ought to think about helping people whose experience in life is not our own. Like, why would you take the time to go into the north side to help our struggling Latino brothers and sisters? Or why would you go out of your way to help black people confront racial injustice? Or why would a black person help white people in need when they are, according to some, born privileged and already have the advantage? And, and here's a provoking question. Why should I help people with the skin color that looks like a person who hurt me or someone I know. Today, I want you to see the radical compassion of a person with every reason in the world to justify ignoring the needs of someone from a different race. So let's pray together and then we'll open God's word. God, we ask that you would help us to listen as we open your word and transform our hearts as we work towards racial unity in our church as a witness to the city. On more than one occasion, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment from God? And one of those instances is by a skeptical lawyer trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would sound like he was ignoring the Old Testament laws. And we find this passage in Luke chapter 10. And it says these words, Behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting an Old Testament passage here. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the skeptic rightly says in response to Jesus' question of his question that he's to love God and love neighbor. But look at verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The question he asks on all our behalves is, who is this neighbor that I must love? And what he's doing is he's seeking the minimum requirement required to justify his salvation. He, he might think, if I must love my neighbor, I want to be sure of who that person is so that I will not spend any more time loving them or loving others than I have to and I still am able to inherit eternal life. So up to this point, the Jew would have thought that his neighbor was only other Jews. And this is the majority of those that are listening to Jesus. And so the Jew might think, well, I love God, check. I love my Jewish neighbors, check. Therefore, I should get eternal life and obey the great command. But in this provocative story, Jesus challenges us to all think beyond our own ethnic groups to define neighbors as including those who are from a different race. Listen carefully. Real Christian love transcends ethnic boundaries. This is the way of Jesus, period. And this is what he's doing is he's explaining to them through this parable his way, the way of Jesus, the way of God. And so Jesus tells them a story in response to this question, who is my neighbor? Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this distance is a 17-mile road that descends 3,000 feet, and it was known for robbers hiding along the way. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Everybody say half dead. Half dead. Means that he is in need. So this beat up half dead guy is the neighbor. Our neighbor, according to the story, is the person who needs our love. And this includes people like us, but it also includes people who are different. So when you think about people that are easy to love, let me ask you this. What traits define you? Like what age are you? Are you an only child, a firstborn, middle child, youngest child? Did you come from a large family, small family? What are your interests? What is your race? What is your education? What's your personality like? In general, those are the kinds of neighbors that are the easiest to love. And if they have a need and if they're left half dead, we more easily go connect with him. Typically, we'll eagerly help people who are like us. But Jesus is defining neighbor as a man left half dead. You will easily get this point, I know. Um, you get that we ought to help those that are in need. But what you might miss is how provocative it is that Jesus is telling these Jewish listeners a story that puts the Samaritan as the helpful hero. The Jews and the Samaritans had a history that was something like the racial tensions between some South American countries or various African countries or between some whites and some people of color in America. For a Jew to talk so optimistically about a Samaritan as Jesus is doing here, it meant boldly redefining in people's minds what it means to obey God in the command to love our neighbor. So in the story, a Jewish priest is the first to walk down this road where this man is left half dead. Look at verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And our hope is raised as a listener, as Jesus is telling us. A priest, he ought to do the same, the right thing. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Oh, of all the people, the priest as this representative of God should help, but he did not. He just walks right past the need. 
I have in mind here what I experience sometimes at my house. And this is gonna sound strange to you, but every now and then I will assess how well Jeannie and I are doing in developing our kids' awareness of the need to help. And I'll do it by just leaving a piece of trash in the walkway at the front door. I wanna know if my kids are becoming mature enough to notice needs and to take action on those needs that are right in front of them, even if it's not their mess. So for instance, uh, back in March, I left a plastic bottle on the stairs and it stayed there for like six weeks. And I wondered each day what it must be like to live in a world where you can just walk by that obvious need. They're, they're like the priest in the Bible story is what I was thinking. Did you notice the need and just ignore it? Were you too busy going about your day to even notice? If you noticed it and ignored it, why? If you're too busy to stop and pick it up, uh, why? And I have done this many times over the years. In fact, right now there's a piece of trash on my front porch. And you know what I'm noticing? As they get older and more mature, they notice. And my hope is that over time, they'll leave the house and they'll notice the needs around them. And even if it's not their own mess, they'll help out. The priest is like that person who just walks by the obvious need, either too busy to see it or too lazy to take action. And some Bible scholars believe that Jesus identifies this first passerby as a priest to magnify the reality that the religious people in this day appeared religious, but they failed to reflect the heart of God in helping those that are in need. You know, let me pause here and say that something I've learned over the years in my study on racism in the church is that during protests led by people like Martin Luther King in the 60s, many white pastors were strangely absent. They were walking by on the other side. This is a part of our Christian history, and to this day, it has left a wound in some black churches. Some white pastors did not do or say anything in solidarity with black brothers and sisters who wanted to be treated, treated equally. And I, I will admit, I have so much to learn, but I refuse to lead a church that stands idly by as our minority brothers and sisters feel a racial inequity. And as a church, we must decide how we're going to cross over to help. We cannot just walk by on the other side like so many have done before us, like this priest or even this Levite talked about in verse 32. Look at verse 32. So likewise, a Levite. Now the Levite is an assistant to the priest. He's also expected to love. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. You know, the Levites and the priests work together closely in the temple. And it may be that Jesus wants to hear or to notice how the priest's unloving response is emulated by the Levite. Did you know that the way you treat others is greatly influenced by the people with whom you spend the most time? If your parents are racist, you're more likely to be a racist. If your friends mistreat people with a different skin color, you might also. If the news you listen to or the articles you read are biased in favor of one ethnic group, you are more likely to limit how you see others. If the people you spend time with regularly pass by on the other side, ignoring the needs of those left dead, you will too. And remember here, Jesus is answering the question, who is my neighbor? And the listeners would have expected Jewish characters to do the right thing. And if Jesus is going to bring up a Samaritan, they would have expected the Samaritan to do the wrong thing just because of the race, just because it's a different ethnic group. It's kind of like a person who sees someone of a different skin color, different ethnicity, and immediately assumes that that person's going to do something wrong based only on the color of their skin. This is what's happening here. But verse 33, but a Samaritan. Look at it. But a Samaritan. 
as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. I imagine that those first listeners were just shocked. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked the crowd, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus says to him, You go and do likewise. This is the way of Jesus. And from this story, we learn how to better love our neighbors, especially as we think about loving across ethnic boundaries. We love by paying attention to the need for compassionate action. The Samaritan had to see past ethnic differences to care about the needs of this person left half dead. And most important for our moment in history, this required him to care about something that he was not personally affected by. He was not hurt, so why care about the hurting? It's because this is what Christ followers do. We know our minority brothers and sisters are hurting right now, and by doing nothing, we're no better than that person who appears religious, but will only walk by past on the other side. We have plenty to capture our attention, but what I'm asking you to consider is that the fight for racial equality is a place that we must give our attention to today. Now let me say a word specifically to my white brothers and sisters. If you feel like getting involved would require you to agree to the accusation that you're somehow personally complicit in slavery, can I tell you that it does not mean that you have to agree to that. We pay attention and get involved to the hurting man, the people left half dead, in obedience to this command to love and acknowledge that at least part of our minority community is hurting and in need. And I cannot navigate all the nuance of this discourse. And I cannot think clearly about how I may or may not be responsible for what's happened in history. But what I can do is stand on the front lines with people of color and work towards equality in education and job opportunities and legal matters and so many other areas deserving our attention. And it starts with a commitment just to pay attention to what is going on in our city with a readiness to act mercifully with compassion. We love by getting involved despite the risk of loss. We're willing to sacrifice energy and dollars and reputation to heed this command to love our neighbors. The Samaritan understood that mere acknowledgement of the need was not enough. He had to be willing to give something up, to be inconvenienced for the good of this person as an expression of love. He scooped up this needy man and he helps them. He let his own priorities be disrupted for the immediate needs of this hurting person. This is what it means to love those in need and it nearly always requires us to go beyond our relational comfort zone. And it may mean we extend love into neighborhoods unlike our own. So the pressing question for all of us is this, what must we do? First of all, we must go to God and ask him to reveal the places in our hearts where racism still exists. And, and I know what you'll want to respond. You'll want to respond quickly. I'm not a racist. And I'm not suggesting that racism defines you. But I do want to ask you to consider the possibility that the way you see people from another race limits your willingness to help them. 
There's a reason that racism still exists throughout our world between groups distinguished only by the color of their skin. We are all in need of transformation. There are things that are happening in our hearts that we can't see clearly enough, but we go to the Lord and ask him to reveal these things to us. If there's none in you, then good. You're good to go. You're ready to help. But if you see in your own heart evidence of prejudice, confess it to God. Jesus broadens our understanding of what it means to love our neighbor in the story, but he also makes a way of forgiveness for when we fail to love. He did this by dying on the cross in sacrifice so that God can forgive our sins. This is the great demonstration of God's love toward us. God crosses the streets and picks us up. We're not just half dead in sin, we're totally dead in sin, but God is merciful to us and gives us new life. Second thing we must do is get involved in helping those who are suffering. And for the purpose of this series, I'd like to suggest that you find ways to help those who are suffering more just because they are of a certain skin color. These people are all around us every day. And we as a church are already involved in our developing relationship with Attack Poverty, Friends of Northside, who, who works among struggling Latinos and others in the Northside neighborhood. And we're working in the Third Ward through our partnership with David Hill and Restoration Community Church. We're just at the beginning of this though. What does it look like to cross over and to help these people, some of whom feel hurt? We're involving ourselves as a church in this series in part to unite with other pastors across the city from black churches and Asian churches and Latino churches in hopes of racial unity, not just for the people that are all around us every single day today, but also for our kids and our grandkids and our great-great-grandkids. We believe that every man, woman, and child in the greater Houston area ought to be able to grow up with equal opportunity, not treated differently because of the color of their skin. We believe that this is an exact demonstration of obedience to God's command. Love God, love our neighbor. So I want you to think about these things. Again, ask God to reveal any racism that exists in your heart. Ask him to transform you. Where you fall short, cry out to God, asking God to forgive you. He does through Jesus Christ, who paid for your sin. And secondly, I want you for you to begin to take action for the needs that are around you. And we as a church are gonna to continue to roll out ways that we're gonna get involved, helping our friends in communities that are hurting, that are all around us. So um, I think we've got a lot to respond to today. So let's think on and pray about these things.